Hey everyone, welcome back to week three of The Wizard of Oz. I'm in my living room, not in the studio, or I'm in my kitchen actually, not in the studio this week. And just talking to you and hoping everyone's doing good. We are at book four of The Wizard of Oz, book three about Dorothy. I'm hanging out here with some cool babies. I'm not a baby! You're not a baby. Okay, you're not a baby. I'm hanging out with some cool kids. How do you feel about that? Um, a kid. Okay, you're a kid. All right, thank you so much. And that was Minnie, who's helping me uh, produce the show this week. So, do you do you like The Wizard of Oz, Minnie? I've never seen that. You've never seen The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. What's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite book? Um, uh, any book in my turquoise back? Okay, um, what books would those be? Um, do you know? Um, you know, I have the counting, um, bug one, and even I did, and even, um, it's with a ladybug, and even, on the, um, she asked all the bugs, she, she lifted at her teeth, and even all the cakes, but there was no bite, but then the bugs came! All right, Bugs came. That's pretty cool. So, how are you doing? Are you, are you having a good week, Minerva? Yeah, but and even there's, a, there's one in the, on the book rack. Yeah, there's one on the book rack? Um, which is, which is about Paw Patrol! Paw Patrol, okay. All right, so your favorite things right now are Pokemon, Paw Patrol, and Frozen? Yeah, even... Yeah, even... Power um, Rangers could have uh, Tal you like Power Rangers too, okay? Cause you, Minnie, you want to be a ninja? Yeah. Yeah, you want to be a ninja. Well, there's no ninjas in the Wizard of Oz, but there is bunny slippers from BunnySlippers.com in this advertisement. Thank you so much, Minnie. Do you like the bunny slipper, bunny slippers, the fuzzy cow slippers in the front room? No, Easter was two days ago. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Black Clock Audio Tales. <laughs> it's been an interesting week, and we all hope you're doing well, and we hope you're keeping warm, and you've got cool stuff like bunny slippers and found item clothing. Thank you so much. Remember to help support the show by going to Facebook, Instagram, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, any place that you find out about our podcast that you can tell other people about it or recommend it and rate and review. That really helps the show. And yeah, Dorothy and the Wizard. Here we go. The Valley of Voices. By journeying through the glass mountain, they had reached a delightful valley that was shaped like the hollow of a great cup with another rugged mountain showing on the other side of it and soft, pretty green hills at the ends. It was all laid out into lovely lawns and gardens with pebble paths leading through them and groves of beautiful and stately trees dotting the landscape here and there. There were orchards, too, bearing luscious fruits that are all unknown to our world. Alluring brooks of crystal water flowed sparkling between their flower-strewn banks, while scattered over the valley were dozens of the quaintest and most picturesque cottages our travelers had ever beheld. None of them were in clusters, such as villages or towns, but each had ample grounds of its own, with orchards and gardens surrounding it. As the new arrivals gazed upon this exquisite scene, 
They were enraptured by its beauties and the fragrance that permeated the soft air which they breathed so gratefully after the confined atmosphere of the tunnel. Several minutes were consumed in silent admiration before they noticed two very singular and unusual facts about this valley. One was that it was lighted from some unseen source, for no sun or moon was in the arched blue sky, although every object was flooded with a clear and perfect light. The second, and even more singular fact, was the absence of any inhabitant of this splendid place. From their elevated position they could overlook the entire valley, but not a single moving object could they see. All appeared mysteriously deserted. The mountain on this side was not glass, but made of stone similar to granite. With some difficulty and danger, Jim drew the buggy over the loose rocks until he reached the green lawns below, where the paths and orchards and gardens began. The nearest cottage was still some distance away. Isn't it fine? cried Dorothy in a joyous voice, as she sprang out of the buggy and let Eureka run frolicking over the velvety grass. Yes, indeed, answered Zeb. We were lucky to get away from those dreadful vegetable people. It wouldn't be so bad, remarked the wizard, gazing around him. If we were obliged to live here always, we couldn't find a prettier place, I'm sure. He took the piglets from his pocket and let them run on the grass, and Jim tasted a mouthful of the green blades and declared he was very contented in his new surroundings. We can't walk in the air here, though, called Eureka, who had tried it and failed, but the others were satisfied to walk on the ground, and the wizard said they must be nearer the surface of the earth than they had been in the Mangaboo country, for everything was more homelike and natural. But where are the people? asked Dorothy. The little man shook his bald head. Can't imagine, my dear, he replied. They heard the sudden twittering of a bird, but could not find the creature anywhere. Slowly they walked along the path toward the nearest cottage, the piglets racing and gambling beside them, and Jim pausing at every step for another mouthful of grass. Presently they came to a low plant. Which had broad spreading leaves, in the center of which grew a single fruit about as large as a peach. The fruit was so daintily colored and so fragrant, and looked so appetizing and delicious, that Dorothy stopped and exclaimed, What is this, do you suppose? The piglets had smelled the fruit quickly, and before the girl could reach out her hand to pluck it, Every one of the nine tiny ones had rushed in and commenced to devour it with great eagerness. It's good anyway, said Zeb, or those little rascals wouldn't have gobbled it up so greedily. Where are they? asked Dorothy in astonishment. They all looked around, but the piglets had disappeared. Dear me, cried the wizard, they must have run away, but I didn't see them go, did you? No, replied the boy and the girl together. Here, picky, 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 called their master anxiously. Several squeals and grunts were instantly heard at his feet, but the wizard could not discover a single piglet. Where are you? he asked. Why, right beside you, spoke a tiny voice. Can't you see us? No, answered the little man in a puzzled tone. We can see you, said another piglet. The wizard stooped down and put out his hand, and at once felt the small fat body of one of his pets. He picked it up, but could not see what he held. 
"'It is very strange,' said he soberly. "'The piglets have become invisible in some curious way.' "'I'll bet it because they ate that peach,' cried the kitten. "'It wasn't a peach, Eureka,' said Dorothy. "'I only hope it wasn't poison.' "'It was fine, Dorothy,' called one of the piglets. "'We'll eat all we can find of them,' said another. "'But we mustn't eat them,' the wizard warned the children, "'or we too may become invisible and lose each other. "'If we come across another of the strange fruit, we must avoid it.' "'Calling the piglets to him, he picked them all up one by one "'and put them away in his pocket, "'for although he could not see them, he could feel them, "'and when he had buttoned his coat, "'he knew they were safe for the present.' The travelers now resumed their walk toward the cottage, which they presently reached. It was a pretty place, with vines growing thickly over the broad front porch. The door stood open, and a table was set in the front room, with four chairs drawn up to it. On the table were plates and knives and forks and dishes of bread, meat, and fruits. The meat was smoking hot, and the knives and forks were performing strange antics and jumping here and there in quite a puzzling way. But not a single person appeared to be in the room. "'How funny!' exclaimed Dorothy, who, with Zeb and the wizard, now stood in the doorway. A peal of merry laughter answered her, and the knives and forks fell to the plates with a clatter. One of the chairs pushed back from the table, and this was so astonishing and mysterious that Dorothy was almost tempted to run away in fright. "'Here are strangers, Mama!' cried the shrill and childish voice of some unseen person. "'So I see, my dear,' answered another voice, soft and womanly. "'What do you want?' demanded a third voice in a stern, gruff accent. "'Well, well,' said the wizard. "'Are there really people in this room?' "'Of course,' answered the man's voice. "'And pardon me for the foolish question, but are you all invisible?' "'Surely,' the woman answered repeating her low, rippling laughter. Are you surprised that you are unable to see the people of Vaux? Why, yes, stammered the wizard. All the people I have ever met before were very plain to see. Where do you come from, then? asked the woman in a curious tone. We belong upon the face of the earth, explained the wizard. But recently, during an earthquake, we fell down a crack and landed in the country of the Mangaboos. "'Dreadful creatures!' exclaimed the woman's voice. "'I've heard of them.' "'They walled us up in a mountain,' continued the wizard. "'But we found there was a tunnel through to this side, so we came here. "'It is a beautiful place. What do you call it?' "'It is the Valley of Vaux.' "'Thank you. We have seen no people since we arrived, "'so we came to this house to inquire our way.' "'Are you hungry?' asked the woman's voice. "'I could eat something,' said Dorothy.' "'So could I,' added Zeb. "'But we do not wish to intrude, I assure you,' the wizard hastened to say. "'That's all right,' returned the man's voice, more pleasantly than before. "'You are welcome to what we have.' As he spoke, the voice came so near to Zeb that he jumped back in alarm. Two childish voices laughed merrily at this action, and Dorothy was sure they were in no danger among such light-hearted folks— even if those folks couldn't be seen. "'What curious animal is that which is eating the grass on my lawn?' inquired the man's voice. "'That's Jim,' said the girl. "'He's a horse.' "'What's he good for?' was the next question. 
He draws the buggy you see fastened to him, and we ride in the buggy instead of walking, she explained. Can he fight? asked the man's voice. No, he can kick pretty hard with his heels, and bite a little, but Jim can't exactly fight, she replied. Then the bears will get him, said one of the children's voices. Bears! exclaimed Dorothy. Are there bears here? This is the one evil of our country, answered the invisible man. Many large and fierce bears roam in the valley of Vaux, and when they catch any of us they eat us up. But as they cannot see us, we seldom get caught. Are the bears invisible too? asked the girl. Yes, for they eat of the dama fruit, as we all do, and that keeps them from being seen by any eye, whether human or animal. Does the dama fruit grow on a low bush and look something like a peach? asked the wizard. Yes, was the reply. If it makes you invisible, why do you eat it? Dorothy inquired. For two reasons, my dear, the woman's voice answered. The dama fruit is the most delicious thing that grows, and when it makes us invisible, the bears cannot find us to eat us up. But now, good wanderers, your luncheon is on the table, so please sit down and eat as much as you like. End of chapter 8 They Fight the Invisible Bears The strangers took their seats at the table willingly enough, for they were all hungry, and the platters were now heaped with good things to eat. In front of each place was a plate bearing one of the delicious dama fruit, and the perfume that rose from these was so enticing and sweet that they were sorely tempted to eat of them and become invisible. But Dorothy satisfied her hunger with other things, and her companions did likewise, resisting the temptation. "'Why do you not eat the damas?' asked the woman's voice. "'We don't want to get invisible,' answered the girl. "'But if you remain visible, the bears will see you and devour you,' said a girlish young voice that belonged to one of the children. "'We who live here much prefer to be invisible, for we can still hug and kiss one another and are quite safe from the bears.' "'And we do not have to be so particular about our dress,' remarked the man. "'And Mama can't tell whether my face is dirty or not,' added the other childish voice gleefully. "'But I make you wash it every time I think of it,' said the mother. "'For it stands to reason your face is dirty, Ayanu, whether I can see it or not.' Dorothy laughed and stretched out her hands. "'Come here, please, Ayanu, and your sister, and let me feel of you,' she requested." They came to her willingly, and Dorothy passed her hands over their faces and forms, and decided one was a girl of about her own age, and the other a boy somewhat smaller. The girl's hair was soft and fluffy, and her skin as smooth as satin. When Dorothy gently touched her nose and ears and lips, they seemed to be well and delicately formed. "'If I could see you, I am sure you would be beautiful,' she declared." The girl laughed, and her mother said, "'We are not vain in the Valley of Vaux, because we cannot display our beauty, and good actions and pleasant ways are what make us lovely to our companions. Yet we can see and appreciate the beauties of nature, the dainty flowers and trees, the green fields, and the clear blue of the sky.' "'How about the birds and beasts and fishes?' asked Zeb. The birds we cannot see, because they love to eat of the damas as much as we do. Yet we hear their sweet songs and enjoy them. 
Neither can we see the cruel bears, for they also eat the fruit. But the fishes that swim in our brooks we can see, and often we catch them to eat. It occurs to me you have a great deal to make you happy, even while invisible, remarked the wizard. Nevertheless, we prefer to remain visible while we are in your valley. Just then Eureka came in, for she had been until now wandering outside with Jim, and when the kitten saw the table set with food, she cried out, Now you must feed me, Dorothy, for I am half-starved. The children were inclined to be frightened by the sight of the small animal, which reminded them of the bears, but Dorothy reassured them by explaining that Eureka was a pet and could do no harm even if she wished to. Then, as the others had by this time moved away from the table, the kitten sprang upon the chair and put her paws upon the cloth to see what there was to eat. To her surprise, an unseen hand clutched her and held her suspended in the air. Eureka was frantic with terror and tried to scratch and bite, so the next moment she was dropped to the floor. "'Did you see that, Dorothy?' she gasped. "'Yes, dear,' her mistress replied. "'There are people living in this house, although we cannot see them. And you must have better manners, Eureka, or something worse will happen to you.' She placed a plate of food upon the floor, and the kitten ate greedily. "'Give me that nice-smelling fruit I saw on the table,' she begged when she had cleaned the plate. "'Those are damas,' said Dorothy. "'And you must never even taste them, Eureka, or you'll get invisible, and then we can't see you at all.' The kitten gazed wistfully at the forbidden fruit. "'Does it hurt to be invisible?' she asked. I don't know, Dorothy answered, but it would hurt me dreadfully to lose you. Very well, I won't touch it, decided the kitten, but you must keep it away from me, for the smell is very tempting. Can you tell us, sir or madam, said the wizard, addressing the air, because he did not quite know where the unseen people stood, if there is any way we can get out of your beautiful valley and on top of the earth again? Oh, one can leave the valley easily enough answered the man's voice. But to do so you must enter a far less pleasant country. As for reaching the top of the earth, I have never heard that it is possible to do that. And if you succeed in getting there, you would probably fall off. Oh, no, said Dorothy. We've been there, and we know. The Valley of Vaux is certainly a charming place, resumed the wizard. But we cannot be contented in any other land than our own for long. Even if we should come to unpleasant places on our way, it is necessary, in order to reach the earth's surface, to keep moving on toward it. In that case, said the man, it will be best for you to cross our valley and mount the spiral staircase inside the pyramid mountain. The top of that mountain is lost in the clouds, and when you reach it you will be in the awful land of Nought, where the gargoyles live. "'What are gargoyles?' asked Zeb. "'I do not know, young sir. "'Our greatest champion, Overman Anu, "'once climbed the spiral stairway "'and fought nine days with the gargoyles "'before he could escape them and come back. "'But he could never be induced to describe the dreadful creatures, "'and soon afterward a bear caught him and ate him up.' "'The wanderers were rather discouraged by this gloomy report.' 
But Dorothy said with a sigh, If the only way to get home is to meet the gurgles, then we've got to meet them. They can't be worse than the Wicked Witch or the Gnome King. But you must remember you had the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman to help you conquer those enemies, suggested the wizard. Just now, my dear, there is not a single warrior in your company. Oh, I guess Zeb could fight if he had to, couldn't you, Zeb? asked the little girl. Perhaps, if I had to, answered Zeb doubtfully. And you have the jointed sword that you chopped the vegetable sorcerer into with, the girl said to the little man. True, he replied, and in my satchel are other useful things to fight with. What the gargoyles most dread is a noise, said the man's voice. Our champion told me that when he shouted his battle cry, the creatures shuddered and drew back, hesitating to continue the combat. But they were in great numbers, and the champion could not shout much, because he had to save his breath for fighting. Very good, said the wizard. We can all yell better than we can fight, so we ought to defeat the gargoyles. But tell me, said Dorothy, how did such a brave champion happen to let the bears eat him? And if he was invisible and the bears invisible, who knows that they really ate him up? The champion had killed eleven bears in his time, returned the unseen man. And we know this is true, because when any creature is dead, the invisible charm of the Dama fruit ceases to be active, and the slain one can be plainly seen by all eyes. When the champion killed a bear, everyone could see it. And when the bears killed the champion, we all saw several pieces of him scattered about, which of course disappeared again when the bears devoured them. They now bade farewell to the kind but unseen people of the cottage, and after the man had called their attention to a high pyramid-shaped mountain on the opposite side of the valley, and told them how to travel in order to reach it, they again started upon their journey. They followed the course of a broad stream, and passed several more pretty cottages, but of course they saw no one, nor did anyone speak to them. Fruits and flowers grew plentifully all about, and there were many of the delicious damas that the people of Vaux were so fond of. About noon they stopped to allow Jim to rest in the shade of a pretty orchard, and while they plucked and ate some of the cherries and plums that grew there, a soft voice suddenly said to them, There are bears nearby. Be careful. The wizard got out his sword at once, and Zeb grabbed the horsewhip. Dorothy climbed into the buggy, although Jim had been unharnessed from it and was grazing some distance away. The owner of the unseen voice laughed lightly and said, You cannot escape the bears that way. How can we escape? asked Dorothy nervously, for an unseen danger is always the hardest to face. You must take the river, was the reply. The bears will not venture upon the water. But we would be drowned, exclaimed the girl. Oh, there is no need of that, said the voice, which from its gentle tones seemed to belong to a young girl. You are strangers in the Valley of Vaux, and do not seem to know our ways, so I will try to save you. The next moment a broad-leafed plant was jerked from the ground where it grew, and held suspended in the air before the wizard. "'Sir,' said the voice, 
you must rub these leaves upon the soles of all your feet, and then you will be able to walk upon the water without sinking below the surface. It is a secret the bears do not know, and we people of Voe usually walk upon the water when we travel, and so escape our enemies. Thank you, cried the wizard joyfully, and at once rubbed a leaf upon the soles of Dorothy's shoes, and then upon his own. The girl took a leaf and rubbed it upon the kitten's paws, and the rest of the plant was handed to Zeb, who, after applying it to his own feet, carefully rubbed it upon all four of Jim's hooves, and then upon the tires of the buggy wheels. He had nearly finished this last task, when a low growling was suddenly heard, and the horse began to jump around and kick viciously with his heels. "'Quick, to the water, or you are lost!' cried the unseen friend, and without hesitation the wizard drew the buggy down the bank and out upon the broad river, for Dorothy was still seated in it, with Eureka in her arms. They did not sink at all, owing to the virtues of the strange plant they had used, and when the buggy was in the middle of the stream, the wizard returned to the bank to assist Zeb and Jim. The horse was plunging madly about, and two or three deep gashes appeared upon its flanks, from which the blood flowed freely. "'Run for the river!' shouted the wizard, and Jim quickly freed himself from his unseen tormentors by a few vicious kicks, and then obeyed. As soon as he trotted out upon the surface of the river, he found himself safe from pursuit, and Zeb was already running across the water toward Dorothy. As the little wizard turned to follow them, he felt a hot breath against his cheek, and heard a low, fierce growl. At once he began stabbing in the air with his sword, and he knew that he had struck some substance, because when he drew back the blade it was dripping with blood. The third time that he thrust out the weapon there was a loud roar and a fall, and suddenly at his feet appeared the form of a great red bear, which was nearly as big as the horse, and much stronger and fiercer. The beast was quite dead from the sword thrusts, and after a glance at its terrible claws and sharp teeth, the little man turned in a panic and rushed out upon the water, for other menacing growls told him more bears were near. On the river, however, the adventurers seemed to be perfectly safe. Dorothy and the buggy had floated slowly downstream with the current of the water, and the others made haste to join her. The wizard opened his satchel and got out some sticking plaster, with which he mended the cuts Jim had received from the claws of the bears. "'I think we'd better stick to the river after this,' said Dorothy. "'If our unknown friend hadn't warned us and told us what to do, we would all be dead by this time.' "'That is true,' agreed the wizard." And as the river seems to be flowing in the direction of the Pyramid Mountain, it will be the easiest way for us to travel. Zeb hitched Jim to the buggy again, and the horse trotted along and drew them rapidly over the smooth water. The kitten was at first dreadfully afraid of getting wet, but Dorothy let her down, and soon Eureka was frisking along beside the buggy without being scared a bit. Once a little fish swam too near the surface, and the kitten grabbed it in her mouth and ate it up as quick as a wink. 
But Dorothy cautioned her to be careful what she ate in this valley of enchantments, and no more fishes were careless enough to swim within reach. After a journey of several hours they came to a point where the river curved, and they found they must cross a mile or so of the valley before they came to the Pyramid Mountain. There were few houses in this part, and few orchards or flowers, so our friends feared they might encounter more of the savage bears, which they had learned to dread with all their hearts. "'You'll have to make a dash, Jim,' said the wizard, "'and run as fast as you can go.' "'All right,' answered the horse. "'I'll do my best.' But you must remember I'm old, and my dashing days are past and gone. All three got into the bucky, and Zeb picked up the reins, though Jim needed no guidance of any sort. The horse was still smarting from the sharp claws of the invisible bears, and as soon as he was on land and headed toward the mountain, the thought that more of those fearsome creatures might be near acted as a spur, and sent him galloping along in a way that made Dorothy catch her breath. Then Zeb, in a spirit of mischief, uttered a growl like that of the bears, and Jim picked up his ears and fairly flew. His bony legs moved so fast they could scarcely be seen, and the wizard clung fast to the seat and yelled, Whoa! at the top of his voice. I'm, I'm afraid he's, he's running away, gasped Dorothy. I know he is, said Zeb, but no bear can catch him if he keeps up that gate, and the harness or the buggy don't break. Jim did not make a mile a minute, but almost before they were aware of it, he drew up at the foot of the mountain so suddenly that the wizard and Zeb both sailed over the dashboard and landed in the soft grass, where they rolled over several times before they stopped. Dorothy nearly went with them, but she was holding fast to the iron rail of the seat, and that saved her. She squeezed the kitten, though, until it screeched, and then the old cab-horse made several curious sounds that led the little girl to suspect he was laughing at them all. End of Chapter 9 The Braided Man of Pyramid Mountain the mountain before them was shaped like a cone, and was so tall that its point was lost in the clouds. Directly facing the place where Jim had stopped was an arched opening leading to a broad stairway. The stairs were cut in the rock inside the mountain, and they were broad and not very steep, because they circled around like a corkscrew, and at the arched opening where the flight began the circle was quite big. At the foot of the stairs was a sign reading, Warning, these steps lead to the land of the gargoyles. Danger, keep out. I wonder how Jim is ever going to draw the buggy up so many stairs, said Dorothy gravely. No trouble at all, declared the horse with a contemptuous neigh. Still, I don't care to drag any passengers. You'll all have to walk. Suppose the stairs get steeper, suggested Zeb doubtfully. "'Then you'll have to boost the buggy wheels, that's all,' answered Jim. "'We'll try it anyway,' said the wizard. "'It's the only way to get out of the Valley of Vaux.' So they began to ascend the stairs, Dorothy and the wizard first, Jim next, drawing the buggy, and then Zeb to watch that nothing happened to the harness. 
The light was dim, and soon they mounted into total darkness, so that the wizard was obliged to get out his lanterns to light the way. But this enabled them to proceed steadily until they came to a landing where there was a rift in the side of the mountain that let in both light and air. Looking through this opening, they could see the Valley of Vaux lying far below them, the cottages seeming like toy houses from that distance. After resting a few moments, they resumed their climb, and still the stairs were broad and low enough for Jim to drag the buggy easily after him. The old horse panted a little and had to stop often to get his breath. At such times, they were all glad to wait for him. For continually climbing upstairs is sure to make one's legs ache. They wound about, always going upward for some time. The lights from the lanterns dimly showed the way, but it was a gloomy journey, and they were pleased when a broad streak of light ahead assured them they were coming to a second landing. Here, one side of the mountain had a great hole in it, like the mouth of a cavern. And the stairs stopped at the near edge of the floor and commenced ascending again at the opposite edge. The opening in the mountain was on the side opposite to the Valley of Vaux, and our travelers looked out upon a strange scene. Below them was a vast space, at the bottom of which was a black sea with rolling billows, through which little tongues of flame constantly shot up. Just above them, and almost on a level with their platform. Were banks of rolling clouds, which constantly shifted position and changed color. The blues and grays were very beautiful, and Dorothy noticed that on the cloud banks sat or reclined fleecy, shadowy forms of beautiful things who must have been the cloud fairies. Mortals who stand upon the earth and look up at the sky cannot often distinguish these forms. But our friends were now so near to the clouds that they observed the dainty fairies very clearly. Are they real? Asked Zeb in an awed voice. Of course, replied Dorothy softly. They are the cloud fairies. They seem like open work, remarked the boy, gazing intently. If I should squeeze one, there wouldn't be anything left of it. In the open space between the clouds and the black bubbling sea far beneath. Could be seen an occasional strange bird winging its way swiftly through the air. These birds were of enormous size, and reminded Zeb of the rocs he had read about in the Arabian Nights. They had fierce eyes and sharp talons and beaks, and the children hoped none of them would venture into the cavern. Well, I declare! Suddenly exclaimed the little wizard, "What in the world is this?" They turned around and found a man standing on the floor in the center of the cave, who bowed very politely when he saw he had attracted their attention. He was a very old man, bent nearly double, but the queerest thing about him was his white hair and beard. These were so long that they reached to his feet, and both the hair and the beard were carefully plaited into many braids, and the end of each braid. Fastened with a bow of colored ribbon. Where did you come from? Asked Dorothy wonderingly. No place at all. Answered the man with the braids. That is not recently. Once I lived on top the earth, but for many years I have had my factory in this spot, halfway up Pyramid Mountain. Are we only halfway up? Inquired the boy in a discouraged tone. I believe so, my lad. 
replied the braided man. But as I have never been in either direction down or up since I arrived, I cannot be positive whether it is exactly halfway or not. Have you a factory in this place? asked the wizard, who had been examining the strange personage carefully. To be sure, said the other. I am a great inventor, you must know, and I manufacture my products in this lonely spot. What are your products? inquired the wizard. Well, I make assorted flutters for flags and bunting, and a superior grade of rustles for ladies' silk gowns. I thought so, said the wizard with a sigh. May we examine some of these articles? Yes, indeed. Come into my shop, please. And the braided man turned and led the way into a smaller cave where he evidently lived. Here, on a broad shelf, were several cardboard boxes of various sizes, each tied with cotton cord. This, said the man, taking up a box and handling it gently, contains twelve dozen rustles, enough to last any lady a year. Will you buy it, my dear? he asked, addressing Dorothy. My gown isn't silk, she said, smiling. Never mind. When you open the box, the rustles will escape whether you are wearing a silk dress or not. Said the man seriously. Then he picked up another box. In this, he continued, are many assorted flutters. They are invaluable to make flags flutter on a still day when there is no wind. You, sir, turning to the wizard, ought to have this assortment. Once you have tried my goods, I am sure you will never be without them. I have no money with me, said the wizard evasively. I do not want money. Returned the braided man, for I could not spend it in this deserted place if I had it. But I would like very much a blue hair ribbon. You will notice my braids are tied with yellow, pink, brown, red, green, white, and black. But I have no blue ribbons. I'll get you one, cried Dorothy, who was sorry for the poor man. So she ran back to the buggy and took from her suitcase a pretty blue ribbon. It did her good to see how the braided man's eyes sparkled when he received this treasure. You have made me very, very happy, my dear, he exclaimed, and then he insisted on the wizard taking the box of flutters and the little girl accepting the box of rustles. You may need them some time, he said, and there is really no use in my manufacturing these things unless somebody uses them. Why did you leave the surface of the earth? inquired the wizard. I could not help it. It is a sad story, but if you will try to restrain your tears, I will tell you about it. On earth, I was a manufacturer of imported holes of American Swiss cheese, and I will acknowledge that I supplied a superior article which was in great demand. Also, I made pores for porous plasters and high-grade holes for doughnuts and buttons. Finally, I invented a new adjustable post hole. Which I thought would make my fortune. I manufactured a large quantity of these post holes, and having no room in which to store them, I set them all end to end and put the top one in the ground. That made an extraordinarily long hole, as you may imagine, and reached far down into the earth. And as I leaned over it to try to see to the bottom, I lost my balance and tumbled in. Unfortunately, the hole led directly into the vast space you see outside this mountain. 
but I managed to catch a point of rock that projected from this cavern, and so saved myself from tumbling headlong into the black waves beneath, where the tongues of flame that dart out would certainly have consumed me. Here, then, I make my home, and although it is a lonely place, I amuse myself making rustles and flutters, and so get along very nicely. When the braided man had completed this strange tale, Dorothy nearly laughed because it was all so absurd, but the wizard tapped his forehead significantly to indicate that he thought the poor man was crazy. So they politely bade him good day and went back to the outer cavern to resume their journey. End of chapter 10